0: Man, it's great to see you. Uh, how are you guys doing? Uh, little Miss Piper um, is going to come and read our passage this morning. So if you'll stand, uh, we're going to read the first two verses of the book of Philippians. Paul and Timothy, servants of G- Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and de- deacons, Christ to you and peace from God our Father and Lord Christ, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much. Piper, love it. Let's uh, go before the Lord and ask Him to be with us. And uh, we will dismiss our youngsters after we pray um, over them right now as well. God, we're grateful for uh, Your Word. Um, Father, we're grateful for um, Christ. And, God, that your spirit wrote this word, that your spirit, uh, God, longs um, to draw people to yourself and to illumine the truth of the goodness of the gospel to them, God, to waken them to new life. And, uh, God, I just pray that that would happen over these next few moments. Um, God, that you must increase, I must decrease. Um, God, much like John the Baptist, um, God, I confess I'm not the Christ. Um, But, God, I'm grateful for the privilege to talk about the Lamb of God who has come to take away the sins of the world. And, God, what you're doing um, in Christ, uniting us to one another. Uh, Where Paul says in Romans, God, that we're members of one another because we're members of you. And, uh, God, I'm excited to look at this little church. And God, it's makeup, how it was formed, and uh, ultimately, God, as we walk through this letter um, that your spirit inspired and that Paul wrote to the Philippian church, there's so much um, that you want to teach us in the midst of it. So, God, um, be with us as we begin this study this morning. Uh, God, I pray that just like the book of Ecclesiastes, that your word would go forth, God, that you would edify your church, you would grow us and make us more like Christ, um, God, and that when it's all said and done, that people wouldn't talk about the sermons or the personality, that we wouldn't leave here going, oh, what a great sermon. But we would leave here going, what a great God who would save sinners like us and unite us to one another under the banner of Christ's finished work in the gospel. And God, that you would keep us and grow us and protect us and sanctify us, God, until you ultimately glorify us uh, with the glory of Christ. Um, what a joy that is. Um, so God, until we meet you and until we get to that golden shore, um, God, continue um, to grow us. And make us more like Christ. Do that over these next few minutes. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So adults, you can sit down. If you're K through 2nd and you're headed to the room over um, in the kids' wing, uh, we've got volunteers that are going to take them. Uh, Mr. Chris, our long-haired, mustached friend over here, is going to uh, to help lead the way. Miss Angela's over here by the doors too. And uh, give us about a month of this and our... our um, announcement will be a little different. We'll just say kids get out of here and they'll take off sprinting. Uh, But because this is week one, it takes just a little bit of help. And uh, we absolutely love that. So um, trust me, give us three weeks of this. And we'll end up praying and say, kids, y'all get gone, and they'll just run, and we'll love it. So uh, we're always going to have volunteers in the lobby to make sure that they get there safely. It's not a, you know, complete free-for-all, but we love the idea of kids, you know, making this place feel like it's home. And we love that kids love to be in the the building and play and all of those kind of things. Don't ever feel bad about your kids looking forward to being here and having fun in the hallways and all of those kind of things. So let's jump into this. Uh, What we're going to do this morning is we are actually going to look at the origin story of the Philippian church. Uh, Does anybody love a good origin story? Unfortunately, in a lot of our movies, they just aren't ever really done well. Um, Does anyone have a favorite origin story movie that you've seen before? Um, We just saw the origin story of the Hunger Games, and it was... Yeah, yeah, okay. (laughs) Apparently, it wasn't good. Um, But what we're going to do is before we look at what Paul is going to instruct this church... And why he's going to instruct them. What we're going to do this morning is we are going to actually, and God in his kindness has showed us this in his word. We're going to look at the who. Who is this church that he's writing to? How did they become a church? What's their makeup? I mean, you're going to actually get to look at um, at least three members and their families of the Philippian church this morning. And the story actually comes in the book of Acts chapter 16. So if you want to flip there, uh, we'll come around to these last two verses at the very end. But before we see the first thing you know, that Paul instructs this church to do, what we want to do is we want to look at the, the origin story of this church. And Paul is actually writing to the, the Philippians from prison, uh, most likely in Rome. Um, Paul mentions Caesar's household when he's referring at the end of Philippians chapter 4. Um, most people think he, he might have you know, been in prison in Ephesus, but because he mentions Caesar's household and because um, he doesn't think that you know, his life is almost over, he's pretty convinced in Philippians 1 that he's going to make it out of prison, that most people don't think that he was in prison there. Um, they think he was in prison in Rome. And Paul uh, gets thrown in prison on his second missionary journey, and uh, he ends up writing what we call the prison epistles. Which are um, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon. Um, Paul writes all four of these letters from prison in Rome, which is pretty fascinating to think that he's in prison. And we'll, also, we'll see Paul in prison in this chapter. Um, Paul was a frequent prison visitor uh, for the glory of God. And uh, he wasn't breaking the law, he was evangelizing, and he was causing some trouble. Um, sharing about the good news of Jesus. And religious people didn't like that very much because they had their religious systems and their religious means to control the people. And Paul starts preaching freedom in Christ, and uh, it doesn't go well for him a lot of times. Um, Paul tells us uh, later in Corinthians, you know, that he was shipwrecked, that he was beaten, that he was lashed, you know, multiple times, 39 times, um, that Paul went through so much, shed his own blood, to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. And we're going to see a little bit of that today. So we're going to look at the who. This origin story of the Philippians church, the Philippian church, it comes to us in Acts 16. So we're just going to fly through this and get to know some of the characters that Paul is writing to, and then we'll look at what he writes to them uh, next week as we pick up in verse 3 of Philippians chapter 1. So everybody on board with where we're going? Know what we're doing? All right, let's look at Acts chapter 16, verse 1. It says this, Paul also came to Derby and to Lystra, For they all knew that his father was a Greek. As they went on their way through the cities, they delivered to them for observance the decisions that had been reached by the apostles and elders who were in Jerusalem. So the churches were strengthened in the faith, and they increased in numbers daily. So here's what I want you to see. Paul gets linked up with Timothy, and you notice that Paul says that Timothy was circumcised. And if you were with us when we walked through the book of Galatians, you should probably pause and go, "Whoa, whoa, 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 I thought we weren't doing this anymore. Right? You know, if you remember in Galatians, Paul, part of his testimony was hey, I um, was a part of Titus coming to know the Lord. Titus wasn't a Jew, he was a Greek, he was a Gentile. And I brought Titus before the big dogs, before Peter, before James, before all these guys. And they said he doesn't have to be circumcised. Remember, the whole issue in Galatians was it's not just faith in Jesus, it's faith in Jesus, plus you got to become Jewish, plus you got to be a good person, plus you got to keep the Jewish law. And Paul says, hey, Titus was my test case. I took Titus to Peter, to James, in Antioch, and said, here's a brother, what should we do with him? And they said, faith in Christ is all that he needs to be saved. And so Paul is saying that, hey, I grabbed Timothy and I circumcised him. And notice how many sentences Paul dedicates to show us that, hey, this wasn't because of salvation. And if you're, if you're troubled by this, you need, you need to see what Paul's doing. He goes out of his way. He took him and he circumcised him. And what does he say? Because he gives us the reason. The word because is is the, the reason statement or the purpose statement. Because of the Jews who were in those places, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. As they went on their way through the cities, they delivered to them the observance of the decisions that had been reached by the apostles. So Paul's going to these cities and saying, hey, it's only faith in Christ that is required for salvation. No works required, you can't do anything, you can't earn it, you can't be good enough in your own strength, you can never be good enough to deserve this, but at the same time I grabbed this brother and I circumcised him to come and bring this message to you. So what's the deal? Why does Paul say because of Timothy's father? Well, Timothy's father was a Gentile. Timothy's mother, we know this from First and Second Timothy, was a Jew. Her name was Eunice and his grandmother Lois. Um, Paul mentions their faith. So you've got a Jewish mother and a Gentile father. And many of the Jews were aware. It says Timothy was well spoken of. They knew who Timothy was. And if you have a Jew who's not circumcised, then all of the Jews would view Timothy as an apostate. An apostate is just someone who rejects and walks away from their faith. So they would have viewed Timothy as an apostate Jew. And they wouldn't listen to anything that he said. So what Paul's telling us is, hey, I circumcised this guy, not because he needed it to be saved, but it was for evangelism's sake. If you remember in the scriptures, Paul says to the Jew, I became a Jew so that I might reach the Jews. I became all things to all people. Paul was willing to do whatever he could to get in the door, you know, short of sin, to get in the door and take the gospel to people who had never heard it before. So this was for evangelism's sake, not for salvation's sake. Does that make sense? It was, a, it was a strategic move so he and Timothy could evangelize to the Jews. And they go, and notice where they go. They end up going back to Galatia, which I think is fascinating, right? Paul told us in Galatians, you remember in Galatians 6, end of Galatians 5, beginning of Galatians 6, he says, I wish I could be there to tell you this face-to-face. And if you remember, Galatians was written between Acts 13, 14, 15, scene. And we see now that Paul has made his way to Galatia, and he gets to visit these brothers and check on them and say, hey, quit adding works to the gospel, right? You don't have a gospel when you do that. But Paul's desire was to get to Galatia, and we see that he finally made it. And so Paul grabs Timothy. He gets circumcised. They go to strengthen the churches and to deliver the message that was decided in Antioch, in Acts 15, at the Jerusalem council, that... You don't have to do anything to be saved other than put your faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ. That's great news. I was talking with a guy this week and, you know, just getting to the, the origin of, of what, what do the scriptures say about salvation? His, his upbringing was it's faith plus works. It's faith. But what about all these things? And so I just asked him, hey, if it's up to you, if you have to do if the gospel is Jesus plus you being a good person as long as you can, is that really good news? That's not good news at all. If I get a million tries over, I will squander it every single time because the sin in me is that deep and is that rampant. It's not good news if it's Jesus plus your performance because we can't measure up. We just can't do it. So they go strengthen the churches with this message that it's salvation is by faith alone, by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, according to scripture alone, for the glory of God alone. That Jesus has completed the work. All you have to do is repent of your sin and believe in Jesus Christ, and you can be saved. So they go preaching this message, and it says they went through, here is Galatia, verse 6. They went through the region of uh, Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And when they had come up to Mysia, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there, urging him and saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision immediately, we sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Now, Here's what, we want, here's what you see. We don't know if this, the Spirit preventing them, was a prophetic word in the church. We don't know if it was another vision like we see here. But God goes out of his way to communicate to Paul Hey, I'm calling you to Macedonia. I know where you plan to go. I know where you plan to be, but I'm calling you elsewhere. How many of you, that's been your testimony and your story. Hey, I know you had a plan, but I've got other plans. I'm calling you here. I'm calling you to this group of people. I'm calling you to this career. Paul and Timothy had a ministry plan. They were going to go on this journey. They were going to strengthen the churches and they get news from God by the Spirit. Hey, you're going to Eastern Europe through this vision. You're going to go and preach to Macedonia, this Roman colony called Philippi in Macedonia, Eastern Europe. You're going to go there. They get this vision and notice verse 10. It says, and when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go into Macedonia. This is the first first person plural pronoun um, that we see Luke use in Acts. And we don't know what happened, but somewhere right now, Luke, the physician, as Colossians four fourteen tells us, Luke was a doctor. Um, he wrote the book of Luke and the book of Acts, giving this orderly account for a man named Theophilus of all that Jesus came to do and all that God's doing through the church by his spirit. And Luke says, we went to Macedonia. So he doesn't say what happened. He doesn't say how they got synced up but all of a sudden we see a we in here. Luke says they were doing this, and they went here, and they went here, but then we ended up going to Macedonia. How many of you has that happened before, right? Hey, God was doing something, and then I got close to it, and all of a sudden we're off doing ministry, right? Man, that was my story in high school, just in proximity to God, in proximity to the gospel. I had a youth pastor who just kind of, you know, didn't really give me an option, just said, hey, I'm going to disciple you. We're going to meet once a week. We're going to be at Chick-fil-A every Wednesday morning and we're gonna talk and we're gonna go through scripture and all of a sudden we're going down to the 201 Poplar and we're going down to the Memphis Union Mission and I'll never forget, I'm a senior in high school, he's, you know, hey, come down to the Memphis Union Mission, I'm preaching that night, we'd love for you to serve with me and he gets up there at the Memphis Union Mission and says, hey, my name's Bob, um, I'm gonna introduce my buddy Parker and he's gonna share his testimony with you tonight and, uh, and preach to you. no kidding. That's what he did. And he had been training me. Hey, always be ready. You, you have your testimony of what the Lord's done in you through the gospel of Jesus Christ and how you believed it. Be ready for it. And man, was that not enjoyable at all? And I think, you know, i, I you know, we'd practice and I've got this testimony, it's you know, 15, 20 minutes. I think four minutes in, I was done. And I was, like, just nervous. I just, you know, flew through the whole thing, and he loved me enough and was gracious enough and just hopped right in and, you know, brought out all of these incredible biblical implications, you know, that I, from the story that I shared and didn't let me sink because he loved me, and I really appreciated it. Um, but he was training me. And you see Paul bring Timothy, this young protege, along. And, hey, we're going to do ministry. And then you see Luke, you know, get close enough to the current and then he just gets swept in with Paul and Timothy and hey we're off to Philippi our prayer is that as you see our church the way we love one another and the way we love Christ and the gospel and what he's done for us and you just you know maybe you're visiting here and you're just in the proximity that you see not us in our performance but you see our affection for Christ for what he's done and the free gift of grace that he's offering our hope is that you get swept in the current too hey I don't know what you've got but you've got joy that this world can't provide And I want to know where you got it. And I want to know how you experience it. And I want to know how my sins can be forgiven, just like yours have. I want to know why this group of people don't operate like the world operates with one another. That we forgive one another. And we speak well of one another. And we're kind to one another. And we look after one another. And we don't look to our own interests, as Paul will say in Philippians, but we look to the interests of others. We put on the mind of Christ and we humble ourselves towards one another. I want to know why this is the way it is. And our prayer is that you get kind of caught in the current too. And you jump in. Put your faith in Christ. And you become a part of this family. But Paul is traveling. Timothy, Luke, hey, we're going to leave in Galatia. Get this vision. We're going to Macedonia. We're going to Philippi. And um, we're off to the races. So verse 11. It says this: So setting sail from Troas, we made a direct voyage to Samothrace and following and the following day to Neapolis and from there to Philippi which is the leading city of the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. We remained in this city some days and on the Sabbath day we went outside of the gate to the riverside where where we supposed there was a place of prayer and we sat down and spoke to the women who had come together This leading city. And Paul's method of church planning and evangelism was very different than how we plant churches today. Uh, what Paul would do is he would go, he would wait for the Sabbath, and he would go to a synagogue. Uh, we see this all throughout the book of Acts. Paul would go to the synagogue, he would go to the places of worship. Anybody who was worshiping something, you know, mostly it was to the Jews who were worshiping Yahweh. And he would go to them, he would go to the synagogue, and he would tell them about the good news that Yahweh has done in sending the Messiah, Jesus Christ. And some people believed, some people, the religious folks got really mad. Often Paul would get beat up and he would just kind of, you know, wake up from his beating and look around and see who was still there believing and be like, okay, here's our church, right? We've got four guys, you know, but Paul endured so much. And what we see here in Philippi is there is no temple. Um, In those days, according to to, um, the Jewish tradition, and I think even to the Jewish law, you had to have 10 men to start a synagogue, 10 believing men in Judaism. And most theologians say, hey, there was no synagogue there. Um, so Paul, you know, it's the Sabbath. He's looking around, like, where are all the Jews gathering? Most theologians don't think there were 10 Jews in Philippi, in Eastern Europe, who put their faith in Christ, and, and, or who, who grew up in the Jewish tradition, tradition and followed Yahweh. So Paul gets wind that, hey, there's some people who pray every Sabbath down by the river. So where does he go? He goes to where the spiritual people are, and he starts preaching to people. And notice that over and over again, Paul often, a chapter later, they'll go to Thessalonica and get run off there. And Paul ends up in Athens. And where does he go? He goes to the public square where all of these pagan people worship their idols. And what does he do? He finds people that are remotely spiritual. And he uses their spirituality as a bridge to tell them about the good news of Jesus. You you and I can do this over and over again. This is a great strategy for you if you're like, how do I begin to talk to my crazy uncle about the gospel? Let me tell you this. Your crazy uncle is a theologian. He might not be a good one, but everyone in here is a theologian. Theology is is just the study of God. Everybody in here has thoughts about God, whether you believe he exists or not. If you are an atheist and don't believe God exists, that's your theology, right? I don't believe God exists but everybody has thoughts about God. And you can take whoever, you're, whoever the Lord's put in your path or whoever the Lord's burdened you to talk to, ask them what they believe. Last night, um, didn't plan on sharing this as I was writing the sermon this week, but last night, um, our ninth grade boys, we had about three hours of free time, and uh, we asked them, hey, you know, what do you guys want to do? And there were lots of you know expensive options and they said we want to go to bass pro shops and play hide and seek so we went to bass pro shops and we played sardines which isn't running around the store it's you know one person kind of hides in the store and we all walk and go try to find them and if you find them you just hide with them and we had a great time but we're all in the fishing section and uh parker lewis is you know we give him a five minute timer to go find a place in the store to just kind of sit and hide and we're all sitting there in the fishing section and this worker at bass pro um I won't give you his name, but I will ask you to pray for him. Um, Older man, probably in his 60s, he's from Poland and just started talking, just started talking about everything, the Polish government, the American government, society, and just how it's tanking. We didn't ask for any of it. He just came up and started talking. We went from fishing poles to Poland to the United States and everywhere in between and uh, he mentioned in the conversation that his... He said, you know, here in, in Poland, we practice our religion. We don't just perform. He's like, we're, we're, the, we're the true folks that practice our religion. So I said, hey, man, like, what do you... Believe? And he says, I'm a Polish Catholic. And I was like, well, what are the, you know, forgive my ignorance, but are the tenets of Polish Catholicism different than, like, you know, Roman Catholicism? And uh, I said, so what do you have to do to be saved according to Polish Catholicism? And his response was... You go to church, and you get baptized, and you're accepted. You just have to want it. You just have to want to be there. You just go to the building, and you check the baptism box, and then you're done. And, you know, Craig Oaks and I are the leaders of this ninth grade group. We had sent the, the boys on because he, he had some colorful language, too. So we're like, guys, y'all go find Parker. Um, so it's Craig and I in the fishing section of Bass Pro. And I said, so what do you believe about Jesus? And he said, oh, Jesus is my buddy. He said, it's kind of like an artist, you know, an artist, like every color can represent something different and mean whatever you want it to mean. He's like, Jesus just represents whatever I need him to represent, when I need him to represent it. And when I tell you, he was 4,000% convinced about everything he told us in the 10-minute conversation we had, the, the most heartbreaking thing about it was he said these things, and you could tell I was going to ask my 7th or 8th question and it kind of winked at us and just walked away. And I look at Craig, and the saddest part about it was this man was convinced about something that was not true at all, like would die for it tomorrow, was so convinced that because he had done a few religious deeds, that he was going to to be accepted before his maker one day, because he had checked a box, not because he had put faith in Jesus and I don't know if we're going to frequent Bass Pro, if, we, if the Lord's just stirring us to, to go back. Um, but we prayed for him last night as, you know, ninth grade boys. We prayed for him in our class this morning. But I want to keep talking to this guy and pray that the Lord uses, you know, not just me, but many people that frequent that store um, to, uh, to share the gospel with him. But what I did is what Paul does. I found something that he believes, and I started just asking questions. Tell me about that. How does that belief system get you to heaven? You know, what do you think about the most central figure in all of human history, Jesus Christ? Like You, you haven't mentioned him yet. You know, what do you believe about him? Oh, he's my dude. Right? He's whatever I need him to be, whenever I need him to be it. And scripture is specific about who Jesus is. and He's not whoever we want him to be. He's the promised son of God who lived a holy life. And who died on a cross to save humanity from their sins. He's the perfect spotless lamb of God. The long prophesied and predicted Messiah of the Old Testament. Fulfilling all of the promises and predictions about God's promised Messiah. The great high priest who gives us access to the Father. Through his righteousness, through his holiness, and through his blood slain. So pray for him, if you don't mind. I would greatly appreciate it. But Paul goes to the river sees these people praying, and what does he do? He starts telling them about Jesus. Lydia clearly believed in the Jewish tradition. She was a worshiper of God, verse 14 says. And then it says this, the Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul, that this God that you worship has made a way for you to be right with him. And it's no longer through a high priest taking a goat into the Holy of Holies once a year. It's no longer through all of these sacrifices that you have to keep up. It's through the once and final, once and for all finished work and sacrifice of Jesus Christ. His perfect, spotless, shed blood. You can be made right with God. And she hears this news. She gets baptized. Paul ends up going to her house. Her house gets baptized. First character that you see, hear the good news of the gospel, put their faith in Jesus. This entrepreneurial woman you know, with purple linen, fine materials doing well off, puts her faith in Jesus Christ. And then you see this in verse 16. Um, As we were going to the place of prayer, so they're headed to Lydia's house. You know, she invites them in. Hey, come to my house. As we're going to the place of prayer, we're met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain <clears throat> by fortune telling. She followed Paul and us, crying out, these men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. And this she kept doing for many days. Paul, having become greatly annoyed, turned and said to the Spirit, "I command you, in the name of Jesus Christ, to come out of her." And it came out that very hour. So they're on the way to Lydia's house, and there's this demon-possessed slave girl. And notice what's happening here is she has these owners who are using the fact that she's possessed by a demon for profit. One of the darkest things you could ever imagine. And there's, there's a whole, you know, context to this, and um, essentially what they would do is you used to have to, you know, this, this pagan god in, in Greece of Apollos, you used to have to go to this place and get your fortune told and all of those things. It's funny how there's nothing new under the sun. People still do stuff like that. But what was interesting about this girl is she was possessed by a demon, and these guys, instead of you going and, you know, to this, I don't know if they called it a temple or this building and getting your fortune told and paying money, they would just travel her around. And the demon would, would give fortunes to these people and they would believe it. Everyone trying to... Nothing new under the sun. Everyone between tarot cards and you know all of these different means is just people trying to, to hear from the divine in ways that God never said he would reveal himself. People wanting divine direction and guidance in places and in means that God never promised to speak. And you see these people totally using this girl and notice what the demon says it says it cries out these men are servants of the most high God who proclaim to you the way of salvation notice this and I think it's funny that demons in the scriptures they never lie in the presence of God (laughs) they always tell the truth but they lie in the presence of men in the darkness when they're alone with you but anytime demons come face to face with God they acknowledge that he's the one true God. And these demons cry out. These men are servants of the most high God who what? Proclaim to you the way of salvation. The demons know doctrine. They just don't love Christ. There's a warning for all of us in here. They know the answers to the stories. They know the answers to the theological questions. These men are servants of the most high God who have the way of salvation. They know all the answers, but they have no love for Christ. Let that sink in for all of us. And notice, I find this kind of funny. The scriptures are hilarious. She kept doing this for many days. Paul, having become greatly annoyed, turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out that very hour. Paul, an apostle, given authority by God. You see Peter calls lame people to walk. You see Paul cast out demons. You see <clears throat> the glory of God and the spirit of God affirming the message of these men about the one true son of God. Demon comes out, verse 19, but when her owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. And when they had brought them into the magistrates, they said, These men are Jews, <clears throat> and they're disturbing our city. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in attacking them. And the magistrates tore the garments off them and gave orders to beat them with rods. And when they inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. Look at how the world responds when people put their faith in Christ. We'd think that everyone would break out. Oh my gosh, this woman, she was enslaved by a demon and now it's gone and she's free. No, what do they do? Hey, we can't make money anymore. These Christians are messing up our system. Let's beat them and convince the magistrates to throw them in prison. When everyone should be worshiping, glory to God. This woman's now free. These people, I can't believe they would mess up our means to make money. They throw Paul and his crew in prison after they beat them up. They attack them. You know, they convince the magistrates to lock them up. And then it says this in verse 25. About midnight... Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God and the prisoners were listening to them. Look at Paul and Silas' behavior in prison. Not, oh God, where are you? Not, God, did we mishear you? You know, were we supposed to go, you know, to Thessalonica again? Were we supposed to go back? Were we supposed to go back to Jerusalem? You know, there's work to be done there. God, did we mishear you along the way? So many times we can do this as soon as our obedience to God, God leads us into a storm or leads us into a trial, we start to backtrack and go, whoa, 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 right? As if our circumstances are a sign of God's blessing. No, the cross is the ultimate sign of God's blessing and favor. And sometimes obedience to Christ means going into places that are difficult to be. Sometimes obedience to Christ means putting yourself in a situation that you wouldn't choose normally. And you see these folks you see paul and silas praying and singing hymns to god probably because a demon was just you know brought out of a woman because you they saw the salvation of lydia and her family singing praises to god in the midst of suffering and trial and notice this the prisoners were listening to them that's an important detail The prisoners were listening to them. And what happens? Verse 26, we'll come back to that. Suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken and immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's bonds were unfastened. When the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. Now this was the honorable thing to do if you were a Roman soldier. Your one job was to keep the prisoners in the prison. And you hear these two Christians, you know, that as far as you know are innocent, cause some trouble out in the marketplace. But they're singing to their God in prison. And then all of a sudden an earthquake happens. And the walls of the prison start falling down. And suddenly the shackles are open. And everybody can leave. And this guy's like, okay, I've got to do their honorable thing. I'm going to just remove myself from the situation. But it says this. But Paul cried out, verse 28, with a loud voice. Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. Notice he doesn't say, for me and Silas are still here. Look at what happened. All of the other prisoners that heard Paul and Silas singing hymns and praising God in the middle of the night in a jail in Philippi, they are curious Here's the thing. One of the greatest ways that you can glorify God and be a light and an example to the world around you is your joy in the midst of suffering. I'll just tell you, our world doesn't need us to teach them how to be happy when everything's going their way. Nobody needs that lesson. But what our world is desperately searching for is joy that nothing in this world can give and nothing that death can take is a joy and a hope that's that's true in life and in death. Is a joy that's so much greater than earthly pleasures and money and bank accounts and status and symbols and pleasure. Our world is looking for something so much deeper than that. And notice what happens. They see as these other prisoners are locked up. These guys got something that I don't have. They're in prison. Their freedom is gone. And they're more free than anybody outside of prison. They're not upset about their legs and their arms being bound on earth because their hearts are in heaven. Their earthly trials don't bother them. Don't sway them. Doesn't steal their joy. One of the greatest ways that you give glory to the grace of God and his sustaining power in your life is the joy that you carry in the midst of your trial. And the joy that you carry in the midst of your suffering. It's one of the greatest ways you can proclaim to the people around you, to your family, to your loved ones, to your neighbors, about the goodness and the sustaining grace and power of God. Is in the middle of whatever you're walking through. And we say this often. This is one of the reasons why we sing to one another. That our primary goal as we gather is, to, is, is solely focused on God. To worship Him. That's primary goal. Nothing competes with that. To give God the glory that He's due. But one of the ways we do it together is because we minister to one another as we sing. A secondary goal is that our corporate worship, when we sing these things that are true in scripture about God, is we minister to one another. That as we do life with one another, and I know what you're walking through and what you're walking through, and y'all are in a small group together, and you share what each of you are walking through, and the trials and the circumstances. When I see you lift your hands and give glory to God in the midst of the trial, it ministers to me. It increases my faith. It rejuvenates me. It gives me the strength to persevere in whatever I'm walking through. This is why the church is not meant to be a place where you just hear a sermon next to a row of strangers, but a family of believers that does life with one another. Because we minister to one another as we sing praises to our God who is all satisfying even when we're locked up in prison. And you see all the jailers notice and none of them leave. Paul says, hey, Don't stab yourself. We're all here. These guys wouldn't leave with us. Right? We asked them not to, and here they are. Why? To spare your life so that you could live. And it says this, Paul cried out in a loud voice, Do not harm yourself, for we're all here. And the jailer called for lights and rushed in, trembling with fear. He fell down before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and said, Sir, what must I do to be saved? What must I do to have so much freedom in Christ that I don't care if I die in an earthquake, I don't care if I get locked up, that I know where I'm going. And I have joy that nothing under the sun could ever give me. How do I get what you have? What must I do to be saved? And what is Paul's response? Do some works? Get baptized? Baptism is a step of obedience, but baptism doesn't save you. What does he say? Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. So notice this. You've got all these prisoners and the prison just collapsed and the prison guard's not worried about them leaving so he's like, yeah, y'all just come over, right? Y'all come over, share the gospel with my family and the jailer and his family are saved because it started with the testimony of God's goodness and his sustaining grace in the midst of trial from Paul and Silas singing hymns and praising God in a prison cell in the middle of the night. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and all who were in his house and he took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds and he was baptized at once, he and all his family. Hey, all wash your wounds, you baptize me and my wife and my kids, right? What a church gathering, What an evening, right? The glory of God and the gospel brings people to new life. Hey, I'll take care of you, and you baptize us. Then he brought them into his house and set food before him, and he rejoiced along with his entire household that he believed in God. They all hear the good news of the gospel, and they put their faith in Jesus. Verse 35, and then we'll do some application. But when it was day, the magistrate sent the police saying, "'Let those men go.'" And the jailer reported these words to Paul, saying, The magistrates have sent to let you go. Therefore, come out now and go in peace. But Paul said to them, and I love this, more humor. What does Paul do? Hey, they've beaten us publicly. Uncondemned, you know, innocent men who are Roman citizens. I bet they didn't know that Paul was a Roman citizen when they beat him up in this Roman colony with Roman magistrates. Paul says, hey, they publicly condemned us. They publicly beat us. And what does Paul say? Now they want to throw us out secretly? Man, I love the humor of the scriptures. No, let them come themselves and take us out. The police reported these words to the magistrates, and they were afraid when they heard that they were Roman citizens. I bet they were. So they came and apologized to them and took them out and asked them to leave the city. So they went out to the prison and visited Lydia. And when they had seen the brothers, they encouraged them and departed. How cool is that? Right? Hey, we've got no prison to keep these guys in. And every building we put them in just collapses because they clearly have a relationship with the divine that we don't have. They're messing up our economy, they're messing up, you know, our, our infrastructure. Get them in out. And Paul says, No, you're gonna walk your you know selves down here and you're gonna get us out publicly because you publicly put us in here. Right? They come down, they apologize, and they send them out. And here's the the origin of the Philippian church. An entrepreneurial woman who sold purple goods, a former demon-possessed slave girl, and a Roman jailer and his family all gathered in Lydia's house, and that's the Philippian church. How beautiful is that? And here's here's what's the hope for all of us. That's the universal church. It's people from all different walks of life, from all different backgrounds, From all different manifestations of darkness and sin in our lives, brought together under the good news of the gospel of God, united together, loving one another under the banner of what Christ has done, and gathering together to proclaim the gospel and to worship and to take care of one another. That's the church. That's the universal church. That's the Philippian church. And that's our church. Think about our church we've got everybody from different places. In this room, people from Cargill, people from Germantown, people from Piperton, Olive Branch, you know, the tip of the sip, South Haven, we've got people from Kansas City, from New York, Florida, England, Ukraine, Afghanistan, that's just our church family, and I haven't even listed all the other places that you're from, right? From all different walks of life, people that had much, people that had little, people that had, you know, some. People that came out of abuse, people that came out of divorce, people that came out of adultery, people that came out of pornography, people that came out of all different levels of darkness and manifestations of sin in the world, brought together under the good news of the banner of the gospel of Jesus Christ and united together. He's united us to himself and now we're members of him and we're members of one another devoted to loving one another and caring for one another and ministering to one another and discipling each other and pouring into your children and pouring into my children and teaching one another, all for the glory of God. This is what God is doing in Christ. He did it in Philippi, and he's doing it all over the world, bringing people from all different places because of the good news of the shed blood of Jesus Christ people that are so different from you and people that are so different from me, teaching me and ministering to me and praying with me and caring for me to keep us and to grow us and to protect us and to persevere us until that day when we all stand before the throne with every tribe and every tongue and every nation giving God the praise that he's due. How amazing is that? And if you fast forward a couple years as we close, Paul's in prison yet again. And we'll talk about next week just how much he loves this church. But they've grown. they devoted themselves to the, the scriptures, to the good news of the gospel, to loving one another and caring for one another. And now look in Philippians 1, 1 and 2. Paul and Timothy are writing to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi. And now they've got overseers, they've got pastors and elders who shepherd the body with the word of God, and they've got deacons, these servants who care for the physical needs of the people. They've got overseers, they've got deacons. And Paul says, "Grace and peace to you from God, our Father, and our Lord Jesus Christ." You want to know what grows a church? Not how close we are to FedEx, not how close we are to, you know, what's buzzing in the community, not how close we are to the fastest growing zip code, but how close we are to the scriptures. And you see this church devote themselves to the word of God. And God brings more and more people to hear the good news and jump in with the family. And we'll look more about the makeup of the church next week. But this is what God is doing in Christ. The question for you this morning is, are you a part of a group like this? Visitor to us or just visitor to Carrierville if you're traveling and just passing through. Do you have a group like this? Have you heard of the good news of the gospel and been united to God? And because you've been reconciled to God, your sins has been paid for by the blood of Jesus, do you have a group of other believers who you've been reconciled to? To love you, to care for you, to look after you, to minister to you, to do life with, and to worship God until he comes again. Do you have that? We'd love to invite you to do that here. But we trust God's providence and His sovereignty and wherever He leads you. But have you put your faith in Jesus? And if you have, have you jumped into a group like this? To be known. To let your kids be ministered to. To use your gifts that God's given you to minister to others. This is what God is doing in Christ. Amen? Let's pray and we'll give Him praise for all that He's done. God, we love you. Father, as we begin to talk more about this church uh, whom Paul loved, God, I'm excited next week to just share just how much Paul loved this church. And it wasn't because of their behavior. It was because they loved you and they loved your word and they loved one another. And they loved helping Paul take the gospel to other places just like they had received. And God, I pray that would be true about our church. God, that you would grow our love for you. And that as you do that, you would grow our love and our compassion for one another. And you would grow our love for your word. And God, you would grow our love and our urgency to to help send the gospel and the good news to other parts of the world who don't have something like this. God, you promise us you will do it. And you've given us gifts to be used by you as your ambassadors to take the gospel, God, yes, to the ends of the earth, but also to the end of our street, to the end of the hallway at work. God, help us to be used by you. God, we have the greatest news on the planet. And you've called us to be your ambassadors, pleading to the world to be reconciled to God. Father, by your spirit, empower us to do that, to be bold about that message. God, we're grateful that you use broken people like us. God, I'm personally grateful for this church family and how much I love these people. God, the gift that they are to me and to my family and to my wife and our son. God, the gift that they are to one another. God, grow us as you grow us closer to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand and give him glory for what he's done.